Our story of emphasis today is found in the book of Acts, and uh, chapter 7 is where we start, verse 55. And it says there this, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the religious leaders covered their ears. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to throw stones at him. Meanwhile, the witness laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. We look down at Acts chapter 9, where the story continues. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul! Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything at all. Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray that these uh, words that we've read today and this story will make sense to us somehow. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who have been around, you know that uh, today we are continuing, actually finishing our winter series. I wish I could say we were finishing winter, but I'm not holding out hope for that. We're finishing our winter series, The Church in Beta, talking about the newborn Christian church. And we've been kind of wrestling with the implications of what they went through might mean for us as we're trying and striving to be a faithful community of faith here in New York City, here at Avent, a hope. And so, by the way, if you haven't kept up with things, you're welcome to go to our brand new website at adventhope.org, same old address, new website. And you can catch up with all of the uh, messages on podcasts or video there. So that's adventhope.org. So before we move on, though, because the Easter season is soon upon us, and we're going to start next week even getting, getting ready for that. Um, but before we move on from the story of the Beta Church, it, uh, it might be helpful to consider what has to be, outside of Jesus, the most prolific character in all of the Beta Church, and that's 
this character named Saul, who later becomes known as the great apostle Paul. He went on to write 14 books of the New Testament. Uh, most of them actually are, were letters to churches, many of which he had helped to establish. And uh, he was just a, a prolific communicator of uh, the good news about Jesus to the Mediterranean uh, world. So, again, it might be appropriate to take a little time before we move on from this story of the New Testament church, of the church in Beta, to, to talk a little bit about this character, Saul. Now, he has what by all accounts is a uh, dramatic introduction to uh, the personal Jesus. He started out as this young, uh, pious, anti-Christian. He was the primary persecutor from what we read in the New Testament, the primary persecutor of those early disciples, those people who wanted to follow Jesus. Stephen, as we read, who was one of the first helpers, we call deacons of the, the church, who was uh, engaged with the practical needs of the community of faith, but also was a communicator of the good news himself. Stephen was murdered, and it was, Steve, it was Paul, Saul, who was uh, there uh, directing things. And then as the religious persecution continued, uh, we read that it was Saul who was orchestrating, arranging, and executing uh, the persecution. He would go to the religious leaders and say that he needs to go someplace. They would give him authority, and so he would march out and uh, gather those who were from the way or those who were following Jesus. And so the story we just read is an account of him going to Damascus. He's going to the synagogue in Damascus. He's got the letters in hand, so he has legal authority to go and round up all of those people who claim to be followers of uh, Jesus. And as you read on the way, or as we read together on the way, he has this encounter with the risen Jesus. We're uh, told that after this in encounter that uh, Saul, later to become Paul, was stricken with blindness, which appears to be a part of God's plan for reshaping uh, Saul's belief system. And this leads us to what I think is an unsettling realization, and that is that sometimes, apparently, or at least according to the story of Saul, God allows or even at times incites turmoil or even suffering in a person's life in order to reframe their worldview. Now, I, again, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's a little bit unsettling for me, that God would use suffering sometimes even apparently inciting suffering to reframe someone's uh, worldview. You know, as, as humans, we all have a way in which we interpret and, and, and understand the world. And this is uh, often called our worldview. Worldviews are shaped by a number of things. And I'm, I just wanted to share with you three things in which, in, in, in ways in which our worldviews are shaped. Ways in which we think about how the the world exists and how it's supposed to operate. So the, the first way in which our worldview is developed is through the experiences that we have in the environments in which we grow up in as children. The environments in which we grow up in, in as children shapes our worldview, our understanding of how the uh, world operates. And so 
you think back to your, uh, your childhood, there was a lot of things that you were learning during your childhood that had an impact about how you were going to interpret the world, how the world is supposed to operate, how people are supposed to interact with people, and so on. We see Paul himself actually alluding to this influence that our, our, in the environment of our childhood has on us in, in his letter to the church in Philippi, and it's recorded in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he's, he's Jewish. Um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, I had zeal, and I even persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So he's referring back to his, 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 his uh, upbringing. He was, he was a, 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 a believer of, of believers, a Hebrew of, of Hebrews, and he, in that experience, was shaped his philosophy about how the world is supposed to operate, how people are supposed to treat each other, was, was shaped in, in that experience growing up. And I would imagine if you think back to your childhood, you can, you can probably, if you, if you have the ability to be removed enough from yourself now, you can think about the ways in which your childhood uh, shaped who you are today and how you interpret uh, the world. And so we learn things about how we deal with other family members. We learn things about what kind of careers we want to want to have and what, what, a, what a career means for ourselves. We learn things about how we relate to money, to financial means. We uh, learn uh, things about, again, how we relate to society at large. A lot of this is shaped during our formative years and the experiences that we have in our environments in which we uh, grow up in. And so if we think about uh, worldview, we recognize how influential our past is to shaping our worldview. But that's not alone. You know that, that the experiences that we have within the culture in which we currently live has a tremendous influence on our worldview and our ability to interpret what's going on in the world and what it means for us. And so attitudes uh, about or that come from society, from culture, from art, from film, from television, from music, all of this has an impact on how we interpret the world. And that shapes our world view. And I would imagine if I asked you how you know, the, your culture in which you exist, how New York, maybe in New York culture, has shaped your world, world view, we could get some pretty um, interesting and intriguing insights from that. Finally, as we think about uh, worldview, we recognize that the experience we have in interpersonal relationships uh, with e each other has a tremendous influence on shaping our worldview. As we dialogue with friends and family, co-workers, fellow students, our attitudes and, and mindsets are adjusted and changed to fit with the experiences that we have with them and maybe the experiences that we have, we hear other people uh, having. And so, Sharing in relationship with each other affects and helps shape our uh, worldview. And so each of these, these elements has a profound impact on how we interpret the existence of the world and how we relate to the world itself. The problem is, the problem is this. Our worldview, shaped by experiences of you know, the environment of our formative years, of our relationships with each other, of the culture at large, don't always necessarily reflect true reality. Our experiences, as much as we put 
uh, 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 emphasis on them don't always express true uh, reality, and this is, is different. So what we experience, whether it's in our formative years growing up, or it's in our culture, or it's in the relationships that we have with each other, don't always inform us everything we need to know to, to have a holistic uh, worldview. I mean, one, one example, somewhat a little bit off topic, but, but bear with me, is that uh, because I'm, I'm on an astronomy kick, so bear with me. Um, before uh, Edwin Hubble in 1922 and 1923 peered his little eyes in the brand new Hooker telescope at the Mount Wilson Observatory in California and proved that the Andromeda Nebula was not in the Milky Way galaxy. Everyone, including astronomers, thought that our galaxy was all there was to the universe. Can you imagine that? 1922, that's not that long ago. Astronomers, very, very smart people, because of their experience and couldn't imagine that the universe be, could be much larger than, than, uh, than our galaxy, just didn't believe that the, the universe was any larger than what, what they had currently observed and believed for centuries. But uh, Hubble com comes along and says, look, Andromeda Nebula is way, way outside of our galaxy. And so the universe suddenly, instantly became, for everyone, much bigger than anyone could possibly imagine. We know now today that there are millions upon millions upon millions of other uh, galaxies and there are innumerable stars in the universe and the universe is even expanding. It's a, it's a gigantic thing, the universe. That was a transformation in, uh, in universe view, if you will. And so sometimes our experiences or our, even, even our knowledge that comes from that uh, doesn't really reflect true reality. Reality is much bigger and much more complex than we, than we recognize, whether it has to do with the, the, the stars in the sky or even uh, the experiences here that we face with God, with each other, and, and our uh, world. And so even though we are shaped and our worldviews are shaped by the experiences that we have growing up in our culture and uh, in relationship with each other, we have to recognize that uh, there's more that we might not have gained from those experiences, and this creates an innate challenge for us to try to think bigger than what our experiences really are. Now, to be more disturbed, uh, the disturbing lesson of this story about this guy named Saul is that the process in which God uses to reframe our worldview or expand our worldview often involves suffering. That's just the reality. Uh, for Saul, I mean, his first experience of suffering that is recorded here was fairly minor. He was blind from three days. I mean, I shouldn't say minor. I've never been blind. I would imagine that's a very traumatic experience. The Bible says he, he saw Jesus, and then he, he was down on the ground. He got up, he opened his eyes, and he couldn't see. He was blind, all right? So that had to be a pretty traumatic uh, experience. But this is just indicative of how God works sometimes. It's in suffering. It's in adversity. It's in pain where God can reframe our worldview about how things exist and where the how the world exists and what our relationship with it is with Him and with 
uh, each other. And again, that can be uh, kind of uh, disturbing to recognize that it's in pain and suffering which, in which our minds can be expanded. Um, in a couple of weeks, my family is going to recognize the anniversary of the death of my sister, 21 years old, April 1st, years and years ago. She was four years my junior. So when I was 25, I'm not 25 anymore. Wish I was, but I'm not. Getting older every day. Um, anyway, 21 years old, she goes off to, to be a student missionary in Taiwan, and she's in a, in a, a tour bus, bizarre tour bus accident on a, on a wet and windy road up in the mountains, and she's, she's killed. Pain, suffering, as you can imagine, for my family, my parents, for myself, something that I, I'm 25 years old. For me, I had not experienced much adversity at 25 years, but in an instant, everything changes. And in that experience, God worked to reframe how I looked at the world. I mean, almost instantaneously, the world takes on a new, uh, 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 a new reality. Your eyes... This is what happened to Paul. This is his, the, 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 the scales came off his eyes, and he saw things in a whole new way. In fact, he was immediately baptized. He had a new understanding of how reality works. It was the very same for me. In suffering, in pain, suddenly I saw the world in a completely different way. For those of you who have suffered, you know what I'm talking about. It's often in times of suffering in which God can reframe and reshift how we understand the universe, the world, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other uh, to work. It's disturbing. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to suffer. You want to suffer? Not many of us are looking forward to suffering. Suffering is uh, difficult. Suffering sometimes, though, also makes us realize uh, how much we uh, need. I, I, I um, was sleeping in my bed in the hotel room next to Nick Zork. We weren't in the same bed. We were different beds. But we were, and he was sleeping like a baby over there. And I was sleeping, and I, I woke up, and my, my head was off the pillow for some reason, and I was looking down at the pillow, and I realized my neck really hurts badly. And so I experienced the pain, and so I thought, well, it's going to go away. I'm going to try to sleep. Of course, I couldn't go back to sleep. So I spent the next three days with this gigantic uh, pain in my neck. And you know what realization I came to? I am weak. <laughs> I need to be working out. You should not injure yourself while sleeping. That sleeping should be a safe place. It should not be a place of... of of, of hurting oneself. I injured myself somehow while sleeping. Sometimes it's in pain and suffering, in the small pain and suffering, when we realize what we need to do or know that we don't currently uh, have or uh, need. So suffering, again, when it comes to how God works, he, he, he relates to suffering in a very particular way. And uh, again, the reality is, that the follower of Jesus is going to experience suffering because suffering God often uses to reframe, to expand our knowledge, to reframe what we understand about the world and our worldview, and it's in suffering in which God works. This is, this is I'm realizing now as I'm saying it, 
not, not, a fun, not a fun message we're sharing here today, but this is the reality. Suffering is innately tied to being a follower of Jesus. There is no way around it. Suffering is in, intimately connected with what it means to be a, a disciple. Uh, in one sense, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, we believe that we live in a broken world. This world is broken. I'll tell you, when, when, when uh, my sister was killed, suddenly, in a very tangible way, I recognized, again, for maybe the first time in my life, how broken the world is. The world is a broken place. It's very easy for us to live in, um, I think, a place like America, where certainly there's suffering going on, but when we think about other areas in the world, there's a lot more suffering. I mean, there are places in this world where you know, 40% of the children will wake up and not have enough food to eat. And while there are certainly places like that here in the United States, for the most part, we are well-fed. When you start to have your eyes and the scales drop from your eyes and recognize how broken the world is, it's in these moments when God can reframe our worldview and help us to understand what's really going on. And so in suffering, in suffering, God teaches us new things. You know, I know, I know that today there are some of you here who are uh, suffering. You're, you're struggling. Your, your jobs uh, aren't going uh, very well, and you see so you're experiencing maybe emotional pain related to that. You don't have enough finances in your, in your bank account. Some of you are suffering because, like Paul later, who suffered because of illness. You're suffering because of illness, or you've lost someone, or you know someone who is hurting and in need. There is a lot of pain and suffering in this world, but not just in this world, in this uh, community. And so uh, I ask you, is it possible that during this time of suffering, for those of you who are experiencing suffering, whether it's as dramatic as Paul's or, or, or a, a, as, as small as whatever your suffering may be, but is it possible that in your suffering, God is wanting to reframe the way in which you look at the world. Maybe it's not as dramatic as, as Saul slash Paul's experience. You had a literally 180 degree turn. I mean, the guy was a killer. And he turned into a, a person who was brought healing. Maybe yours, your experience doesn't need to be that dramatic. But is it possible that in your suffering, God is wanting to reframe the way in which you look at the world, to give you new understanding and insight on the, 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 the universal pain that's experienced in a world that is broken and in need and will continue to be broken until that day in which Jesus comes again. Is it possible God is wanting to teach you for those of you who are experiencing suffering, whatever it may be? In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read these words. It's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Because in that is the consciousness of God. To this you were, you were called. If you're a follower of Jesus, the reality is there's going to be suffering that goes along with that. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps Peter is very, uh, very clear about how things operate as followers of Jesus. There's going to be suffering. And the reality is this suffering can open our minds to how the world really works. We're in a broken place. There are people around the world who are hurting and in need. And as we suffer, 
our minds can be open to the needs that exist in this world. It's a hard message. It's not comfortable because none of us want to suffer. None of you want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. The good news is, though, that God has gone before us, that God has a suffer. This is the, the unique understanding of followers of Jesus that, that God isn't far off and removed. That while we suffer and have our minds expanded by suffering, that, that he's removed from that, that he too suffered. That when Jesus came, he experienced all that we experience. And that the, the Father and the Spirit were along with him also experiencing his suffering and that he suffers too in our experience of suffering. The good news is that God is not far off from us. He knows suffering. He's experienced it himself, and he knows our suffering. In Revelation chapter 21, the last book of the Bible, we read this narrative about what's to come in the world. In Revelation 21 verse 3, it says this, and this is John, an, an, an apostle, a follower of Jesus who experienced a lot of suffering. In fact, when he, when he wrote this and saw this, he was a prisoner on an island trapped out in the Mediterranean Sea. But he, he gets this glimpse of what is to come. He says, I heard a loud voice from the, the throne of God saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I will make everything new. Then he said, write down these words because they are trustworthy and true. The good news is that God is not far off and removed when we experience suffering. And in fact, God wants to teach us in our experience of suffering and maybe reframe our worldview, help us to have new eyes, to look at a, a world that indeed is broken. But then he gives us hope that things will not always be this way. There's a time coming when suffering will end. No more crying, no more mourning, no more sadness, no more pain. That's good news. But here and now, but here and now, we live in a broken world. And we're broken people. We need to have eyes that are open and reframed so that we can see the areas in which we may be mistaken about how the world operates. I mean, Saul needed transformation. He thought the world operated. He, he grew up believing that the world operated in one way and had to be completely changed. We may need that too, and it's in suffering that that happens. But also in the suffering, we see the suffering of others and are able to be a community that holds hands with people who are hurting and in need. May God teach us in our suffering about the truth of the world, about the brokenness, and may he give us peace. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider the story of Saul and the transformation that you did in his life, 
And we recognize that it was through suffering that you reframed his worldview. We recognize, too, that you may want to work in our experience, in our life. And so I pray for those who are here today suffering. Whatever reason they're suffering for, I pray for those who are suffering, and I pray that you will uh, give them a peace. And if there needs to be some shift or this is an opportunity for you to reframe their perspective on the world, I pray for that. Make us a community, we pray, here and now, a community of peace and patience and of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.